ask you to open your Bibles, if you would, this morning. Mark chapter 1, verse 40. We're continuing in our study of Mark's gospel and our, our emphasis this year. I don't, I don't really like the word theme because that's like, okay, we do it this year because it's our theme and then next year it doesn't apply anymore. So our emphasis or our goal, I can say that, our goal is to talk about the fashioning of Christ's character within us. Christ formed in us so that we can then demonstrate Christ to the world. That is our, our goal, our focus this year. And, and frankly, I think it always should be. I can't think of any other goal that would be suitable for a follower of Christ. His fashion, character, character structured in us, Christ in you, hope of glory. And then to manifest that to the world. That's the only reason I'm interested in hanging around. Paul put it this way. He said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Best reason I can think of to get up in the morning, to find the opportunity to manifest his character in the lives of other people. So that's what we're talking about. That's what we've been looking at in Mark's gospel. That's what brought us to Mark's gospel. Uh, we looked at two events last week. Uh, a demon cast out of a man right in the middle of the synagogue, and then a woman healed of a fever in the privacy of her home. It's different in that one is very public and one is very private, and yet with a very common thread in both of those. There was a demonstration of Jesus' power and authority, first in silencing a demon and then in healing a woman of a fever. And then there was a demonstration of his compassion. He demonstrated his power and his authority in a way characterized by compassion. He didn't just silence the demon. He cast it out, left the man free of demonic possession. He didn't just heal the woman of her fever. He restored her to strength so she could fulfill her responsibility as a wife and a mother of the household and serve her guests. So Jesus acted in a way that was in concert, both power and authority and his compassion. And that's the pattern we're seeing. That's the character of Jesus we would so much like to see fashioned within us, right? Um, we talked about the word compassion a little bit last week. I want to talk more about it this morning. It's that thing we feel in our gut. The word that's used literally refers to not just the, the bowels in a, in a generic way, but actual, the physical structure of the intestines. The, everything's involved in digestion. The ancients understood that's where compassion came from. It came from the belly, from the gut. And I think we all know that intrinsically when we see something we see the suffering of an innocent we see a child or we see someone suffering we feel it in our gut and that's why the ancients went that particular direction right um, it's interesting when we um when we feel that way we feel that sense that thing in our gut um, we say okay well that's that's kind of the normal response um, and yet when we hear of, of the ancients describing it that way actually sourcing, you know, our, our compassionate emotions to, our, to the gut, we kind of think, well, that, that's not very sophisticated, you know? We, know. we know more than that. Well, interestingly enough, um, it went farther than that. Um, how many have, have ever heard the expression, so-and-so's really got spleen? I don't know. that You've heard that one? Someone's got spleen? Actually, that goes all the way back to the 1600s. See, the idea was that the ancients had this, that while our positive emotions, compassion, right, that resides here, it was thought that the, 
the bad emotions, the anger, the malice, those kind of things, it was located a little farther up here, right? They actually used the word, this is probably the easiest Greek word I'm ever going to give you. The Greek word is spleen. <laughs> and it comes into English as spleen, right? And so they would say, you know, but we think that's kind of, you know, not very sophisticated, right? And yet, have you ever used the expression, so that guy's really got gall? Or how about this one? The nerve of that fellow. So it actually is kind of, it's kind of sinks with our thinking. It really makes more sense than we might, we might want to give it. So this morning we're going to continue to talk about that thing that Jesus experienced in his belly, that compassion. And it's a really short passage of scripture. It's Mark chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 40. Just read, read three verses. Mark writes, A leper came to him, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying to him, If you're willing, you can make me clean. And moved with compassion, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I'm willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Father, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. Father, in it we have, we have life, we have life, we have instruction. Father, we have um, what we need. Or Father, perhaps we should say we have in your word what the Spirit of God needs to, to use to craft your character, your person in us. And that's our goal. Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at this story with just a little bit of detail, and I think we'll learn again in even more detail, if I can kind of be repetitive a little bit, just how Jesus' character is expressed in compassion. Compassion wasn't something external to Jesus. It was born right in the physicality of his being and how he acted that out in the lives of the people around him. So uh, talk about Jesus' identity first. The leper approaches Jesus. And one thing that's real clear in this passage is this is a very random kind of meeting. We're not told where it happened. It happened somewhere in Galilee. Uh, Matthew and Luke also talk about this, but neither one of them gives us the location. None of them give us the name of the guy. None of us give us the day of the week. So there's not a lot of detail except there's a guy who's got leprosy and he comes to Jesus. And he approaches Jesus and he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Right? First thing I would note is that he approached Jesus. Jesus didn't go out and look for him. This man, on his own, he came and he found Jesus and he did so in the manner that was beseeching him. Kind of an old-fashioned word. It, it just means saying please. It's the exact same word you would use in modern Greek to say please. Lord, please. Well, that tells us something about the understanding this leper had. This leper really had things figured out. He did. In that he came to Jesus saying please, he acknowledged that he had absolutely no claim on Jesus. This is simply a, an ask. This is, this is just him saying, Lord, you have what I need. I need it. I've got nothing to offer you. I've got nothing to offer you in exchange. I'm just saying, please, everything I need is in you, and frankly, nothing you need is in me. Complete acknowledgement of his dependence on the Lord for whatever he was going to get. Lord, please. And falling on his knees is an acknowledgement that this is a one-way request. There's no negotiating. There's no bartering. Lord, if you'll do this for me, I'll do this for you. Or Lord, if you'll heal me, I'll do none. There's none of that. 
He says please, he hits his knees. It's a complete acknowledgement of his total dependence on the person of Christ, the character of Christ. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The wording indicates a couple of things that are really profound. There's so much in this simple statement. First of all, there's an absolute confidence in Jesus' ability to do the thing. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Literally, you have the power to do this. Jesus, if it's your inclination to do this, if your will inclines this way, you have the complete and total power to do it. His confidence in Jesus' power, his authority is absolute. The only question in this man's mind is Jesus' will. Now, in our mind, if we're looking at the person and character of Jesus, trying to understand exactly who he is, exactly what this, what this leper is, is conveying in this statement, if you're willing, you can make me clean, we always want to focus on what Jesus can do. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus, you have all the power, you have all the authority, you have all the ability, anything that's necessary to make this happen, it's in you. And that's a tremendous statement about who Jesus is. He understands Jesus has a power that only God has, because no human being can do this. But that doesn't begin to compare with the other part of the statement. He said, if you are willing, what did he just do? He just acknowledged that everything that's going to happen in that moment is dependent totally on Jesus' will. I guess a way I would compare this, if you would, it's kind of a coarse analogy, but I think it works. Imagine if something were wrong with one of your our wonderfully complicated automobiles these days, and you can't fix anything without a computer. So you go to the auto parts place, and they pull out that little handheld computer that's such a wonder, and they plug it in, and you, boom, there's the problem. Yeah, we have the part. You tell the guy, well, you, know, you got the skill to put it in? Sure, but I can't. What do you mean you can't? Well, there's a federal regulation against the installation of that part. If you don't think that's far-fetched, try to buy a part for your airbag. You can't do it. There's federal regulations that restrict parts for airbags. I understand they're like little bombs. I didn't know that until I tried to buy one. I, I always assumed there was like a little bottle of gas, so it, like a no, it's like a little bomb, right? So you can't just buy it. So even though this, this person at the auto parts store or maybe the auto repair shop, he has all the ability, has all the skill, has everything he needs in terms of capacity, he can't do it because there's a law that restricts its availability. Again, kind of a coarse analogy, but it makes this point. Where does the greater authority lie? Who's the greater party in that equation? The person that can install the part has installed, has the part, everything is there to do the part, but can't do it because someone else has told them no. Where's the greater authority? Where's the greater power? It's in the government, obviously, right? There's a higher authority. The point I'm simply making is this. The matter of will is greater than the matter of capacity. It is one thing to acknowledge that Jesus has the ability to heal him, it's a far greater thing to acknowledge that the choice of whether or not to do it resides exclusively with you. He is acknowledging 
this nameless leper is acknowledging that both the ability to do this and the authority to do this reside completely in the person of Christ. It's a tremendous statement as to the character of Christ. And this leper understands it. He understands in his, in his statement, power and authority reside in Jesus. I have no doubt in your capacity to do this. I recognize that everything rests on your, on your, your choice. It's a complete and total affirmation of Jesus' identity. And what happens? Of course, Jesus extends his hand to heal the man. He heals him of his leprosy, making him clean. And the way it happens is critical. It says Jesus moved with compassion. That's what tips the scales. Jesus, I know you have the ability. I know you have the power. I know you have the authority. It's all a matter of what makes you decide to do it. And the text tells us what makes Jesus decide to do it. You know, a lot of this, if we think about it, really contrasts with a lot of the ways we pray, doesn't it? How many times in our prayer we, um, we want to play the negotiating game? You know, Lord, if you'll just do this. Lord, I'll if you'll, right? Or, or, or sometimes in our prayers, if we're not careful, we can even, even buy into a, a, an idea that somehow the decision of whether or not something happens is actually up to us. That somehow we understand that, that Jesus has given us the right to make decisions that are his. No. The power and the authority reside in him. It's all dependent upon his will. And this leper has touched something deep in him. And so it is compassion, that thing internal to the person of Christ, that tips the scale and causes him to act. Jesus is driven by something literally in his bowels. He felt it. Jesus felt this moment in his gut. Point being, that whether or not the specific analysis of Jesus' biology was correct, the leper understood there was something in the person of Jesus he needed to touch. What's important to, uh, for us to recognize is that is where it came from. This compassion that drove Jesus to act was literally part of his DNA. Extraordinary part about that, of course, is we're made in his image. And so we should expect to find in our own DNA this thing called compassion. Rather interesting, we tend to think of, of compassion, that, that desire to enter into, embrace the suffering of others that we might alleviate it. We kind of think that, you know, some folks have it and some folks don't. Because we see some people that, well, I, you look at their lives, you don't see it. I saw the most interesting definition the other day of what a narcissist is. A narcissist, somebody totally consumed with themselves, is someone who gets annoyed when they're required to deny their own compassion. Just let that one roll around your head for a little bit. A narcissist is someone that gets angry when they're forced to ignore their own compassion. It's there. It's part of our makeup. We are made in his image, fallen as we are. So the question is not whether we have it, whether we react to it, whether we embrace it. It says, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. You know, a lot of times when we're approaching Jesus in prayer, we get caught up in the formula. You know, I got to do it just right. A lot of teaching about that, you know. 
Compare this, if you will, with the woman with the issue of blood. I think most of us know that story. She's the one that had been bleeding for many years. She came and she worked her way through the, to the crowd, even though she was lawfully prohibited from touching anyone. She made her way through the crowd. She got close enough to Jesus that she could reach out and touch the hem of his garment. And Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. This guy's like the antithesis of that. I mean, he comes up to Jesus, but the minute he gets to, like, proximity, boom, breaks go on. I'm not touching Jesus falls to his knees. Very different, very different approach. Didn't cause a problem for Jesus. Instead of him reaching out for Jesus, Jesus reached out to him with the human touch the man had not felt for how many years. Jesus reached out and touched him and healed him. He said, I am willing. Jesus embraced his own compassion. He embraced the compassion that led him to touch a man ceremonially out clean. And notice the text says, and immediately, there's that word again, right? That word that not just quickly, but without barrier or restrictions. Jesus' compassion completely removed any of the restrictions, any of the bears. It's what set the law aside. And immediately the man was made clean, instantly, without delay. So here we have Jesus' power and authority motivated by directed by his compassion. Last week, I made an assertion that, to be honest, I have to walk back. I make you this promise when I say something, and after I say it, if I realize it was wrong, I will take it back, and I have to do that this week. Last week, I said that when Jesus expressed his authority and power, it was always out of his compassion. I should have known better than to use an absolute word like that, because you're never right when you do that. You always end up regretting it. Jesus didn't always link his authority and his power to compassion. When he expressed his authority and power in casting out demons, he showed them no compassion. There is one possible exception to that. I was talking with Pastor Joyce about that this morning. That time when he was going to throw the demons out, and they said, oh, please, let us go into the pigs. You know, and he said, sure. But I'm not sure that was an act of compassion. I think he was smiling when he did that, knowing how it was going to turn out. You know? How'd that work for you guys? No. No compassion when he dealt with demons. Now, that's true, but somewhat academic, because that, how does that apply to us, right? It doesn't apply to us. What does apply to us is this. He showed no compassion when he dealt with religious experts who closed the door to eternity to their fellow man. Matthew 23, it's loaded from one end to the other with Jesus' pronouncements of woe. This is just one example. Verse 15, Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. When religious experts had hardened their hearts to the place that they not only turned from the way of God themselves, they had not only blocked out the compassion of the human heart, but they actually led others down that same path. They closed off the faucet, if you will, of his compassion. And all they got was his power and authority. Thanks be to God for his mercy that allows a sinner like me to, to remain the recipient of his compassion.
but it's also a warning about human, eye, human arrogance and, and ego that would th cause us to think that we alone know the way and that unless you agree with me, you're not going anywhere. No, no. To the lost, to the suffering, Jesus' authority and power, his sovereign right to act were made servant by our Lord to his compassion. The psalmist puts it this way in Psalm 116, verse 5. The Lord is gracious in righteousness and full of compassion. Full of compassion. That phrase occurs five times in the Psalms. It also occurs in James. The compassion that is part of our physical being. Here's, here's the point I want to make. Here's what I'm trying to say this morning. When we see something, someone suffering, we hear of a tragedy, and that thing happens in our gut. It's so good for us to know that it was God who put that there. And that we know that Jesus had that same thing in pure, undefiled, holy form in his own belly. And then when he saw suffering, he was driven by that to respond. And that when we come to him, we can expect the same thing. We can expect the very same thing. We can, just like that leper, lay our request before him and say, Lord, if you're willing. Now, we do have to acknowledge that he doesn't see things the same way we do. One of those incredibly frustrating things we as children of God do experience when we lay something before him and the answer is no. But we have to be prepared for that, or maybe it's just not now. But it's not the answer we want. We say, well, what happened to his compassion? Well, we have to remember the statement, if you are willing, really means if you are willing. And Jesus explains why. The Word of God explains why. We're told His ways are not our ways. He sees things from a different perspective than we do. He sees a much larger picture than we do. And sometimes the answers wait. Or sometimes the answer is even no, simply because of things he sees and things he understands that we do not yet see or understand. But we can know with assurity his compassion is still there. It is still directed towards his people. The Lord is gracious and righteousness and full of compassion. That thing we experience, that emotion we have when we see the sufferings of others, which we experience in such a finite way, gives us a glimpse this thing back to that last time, maybe it was like the earthquake in, in Turkey, maybe it was something you saw somebody, some person suffering. Think about that thing you felt in your gut that moved you to do something. That is but a microcosm of what fills, Psalm said it five times, what fills the character of Christ. And that is the character he would manifest in us. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. It is so simple, and yet it shows us so much. Father, it's, it's really easy as we um, endeavor to live godly and holy lives, as we should, Father, that we can get caught up in, in the list of doing and the list of don'ts and forget, Father, that what really connects us to you is the image in us that reflects the perfect person of Christ. And Father, as we can think back and know of those moments when compassion rose in us, Lord, that's a hint, Lord. 
That's a really powerful illustration of what exists in your son, exists in you for us in fullness, Lord. That's another way of saying infinitely, Lord. Father, we know that your compassion is infinite because you are infinite. And your character is infinite. So, Father, as we go through this week, as we face the challenges we're going to face this week and the frustrations we'll face and the difficulties, Lord, I pray that our, our thoughts would not only go to the God who is able to take care of us, who is, yes, willing to take care of us, but is motivated by a great compassion for us. And that, Father, that would help us then in turn focus on the needs of others that we would respond to others, Father, with open and generous hearts, Lord. Father, we are surrounded by need. Father, we can be overwhelmed by need. But the strength to respond to those needs, Father, we know comes from you. Because you put it in us to want to respond. Help us to keep these things in mind, Father, as we press through this week, endeavoring to be more like you and to show you to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord this morning.